The Archdiocese of Los Angeles paid an $8 million settlement to a teenager who was sexually abused by a teacher. This is the largest single payout from an archdiocese that has spent more than $740 million in sex abuse settlements over 15 years. That's that Southern California price gouging for you. <laughs> You know, in a Midwest archdiocese, these multi-million dollar settlements amount to just moving the abuser to a new parish. <laughs> Studies have shown that high deductible health insurance plans are linked directly to a delay in treatment or seeking no treatment at all, which comes as no surprise to literally anybody who can only afford a high deductible plan. I've had a hernia for five years, hemorrhoids for three, and this bump on my arm that I can't be certain isn't melanoma. John Bolton has announced new sanctions against Latinx countries, stating, As long as the people of Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua stand for freedom, the United States will stand with them against governments he refers to as the, quote, troika of tyranny. Still radio silence as to whether we'll be doing anything to stand with the people against the tyrannical governments of Saudi Arabia, Israel, and the United States. <laughs> Pete Buttigieg officially announced his bid for the Democratic nomination for president, making him the first openly gay man to not win the Democratic nomination for president. <laughs> Notre Dame Cathedral caught fire in Paris. As smoke billowed from the church into the sky, American tourists wondered if this meant that there was a new pope. Three French billionaires immediately came together to pledge donations of hundreds of millions of dollars to restore the charred remains of the Catholic cathedral, proving that not only are billionaires useless, they're opportunistic too. <laughs> Critics of the move say that much money could be used to end world hunger, improve income inequality, or pay off victims of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. <laughs> Coming just in time for the Paris Olympics in 2024, it's the Gucci Louis Vuitton Notre Dame Cathedral presented by L'Oreal. L'Oreal, because you, the working class, aren't worth it. Episode number eight, lucky number eight. Is that anybody's lucky number? Anybody out there? It's even. It's four and four, six and two, seven and one, seven plus one. It's extra lucky. It is Sunday night, Easter night. It's been a big day. It's been a big week for the Catholic Church in a lot of bad ways. You know, it is Easter, so hallelujah. But, you know, it's most iconic church in Paris. Caught fire. A lot of it, a lot of it was lost. Well, the roof at least. And uh, today... Today was uh, was horrific in Sri Lanka. Over 200 people dead, over 450 injured in uh, attacks against Catholic churches. Ugh. It's uh, you know there's not there's still not a whole lot of information out there, and it's it's brutal and it's uh, it's bad. I mean, it's an act of terrorism. Obviously, you know they're not lone wolves because you know they're not white because they're in Sri Lanka. So you know you know they're terrorists. Um, but no, it's it's pretty bad. I don't really have anything to say about it. Um, and there's still you know information coming out. So who, who knows? Uh, but it's 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 tragic. Uh, you know, uh, another tragedy is uh, you know, I returned to the church for Easter Mass. I know they didn't want me back. <laughs> they weren't chomping at the bit to get me back in there. But there I was. You know, only time all year that I went to church. You know, I was raised Catholic. Um, no no horrific experiences. You know, Catholic school was fine. I didn't have any abusive teachers. I didn't have any abusive priests. Thank God. But uh, you know, I, I left the church probably uh, at the age of 17 when I listened to George Carlin's uh, 
complaints and grievances when he went off on the Ten Commandments. So uh, more than ha- uh, you know, up, uh, almost half my life I've uh, been dissociated, disassociated from the church. Uh, even though I did end up going to Xavier University uh, after I left the church, but it honestly ended up being good. You know, a lot, uh, a lot of well, you know. When I when I decided to go to Xavier, I was a little bit hesitant. I was like, "Fuck, I don't want to go back to Catholic school." I was done. Graduated Catholic high school, going to public school freshman year. Went to a uh, state school, West Virginia. Go Mountaineers! Uh, and then I transferred back into Cincinnati. But uh, honestly, the theology classes that they made us take, uh, they were all very woke, very lefty. Like I learned about uh, I learned about the radical theology of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and uh, Malcolm X, which was pretty badass. Like I took an entire class about Martin Luther King, and that was a theology class. It was about uh, liberation theology, and it was pretty pretty great. It made me uh, not look at religion in such a bad light. But anyways, went to church this morning with the fam. Um, I took the communion. You're, probably, you're not supposed to do that, but you know what? Fuck it. I, I, went, to, I went to school for 12, 13, 14, 15, 15 years. I went to a Catholic school for 15 years. I was subjected to mass every Friday in grade school, and then still had to go on Sunday. Spent a lot of time there. So you know what? Give me your fucking snacks. And I'm drinking the wine too, even though it's shitty wine. I used to, uh, I remember as a kid, uh, I would take, I would take communion and then like the last few minutes of church, I felt like energized. And in my head, I was like, oh, that's like the Holy Spirit. That's the body of Christ giving me energy. And then I realized, oh no, you just haven't eaten today. (laughs) You, uh, you were, you were having like a, you were having a crash and you got a little bit of food so that your body's, your body's going now. It's like, all right, we're not dying. Here we go. (laughs) Cause I didn't, I didn't drink the wine when I was a kid. That's just a more recent thing. I always thought it was gross. Thought it tasted, it was it was hot and made my mouth hurt. I was like, no, don't want that. And I don't want to touch my mouth to a cup that everyone's touching their mouth to. But anyways, uh, so I went and took communion. And because I was raised Catholic and because I just have all of this inherent guilt in my head, I always feel like I'm doing something wrong. And I, I guess I was doing something wrong. So that added on top of it. So I get to the front and uh, the line that I was in, actually the priest who was doing the mass, was uh, he was the one giving us the communion. And when I go up, you know, uh, I put my hands out and he... Uh, he kind of steps away, and my immediate thought was like, oh shit, he knows. <laughs> he knows because he's a priest and they know everything, right? That's like my, that's my mind as a kid being raised Catholic, going to like, par- adults know everything, priests know everything. He knows that I'm, you know, not really Catholic. I have my first communion, but, you know, I don't believe in the stuff. Uh, but uh, no, he was just counting because it was a very full mass and you only had a few left. And he started, then he made like a funny little, uh, he made a funny little joke. I don't know. He's like, Hey, you got to do multiplication up here. I'm like, yeah, there we go. Math, religion. Uh, but it was a Jesuit. It was a Jesuit church. So, you know, he's like cool. He's like a cool priest. Easter. Good day. Just watch Game of Thrones. I'm still reeling from it. Great ep, you know, final season. So happy Easter. Happy Passover. Passover and Easter on the same weekend. Incredible. Wow. The Jews and the Gentiles coming together to celebrate as one. What a good Friday, you know? Quite the Good Friday, and an even better sat the holiest of Saturdays, four twenty. Oh, oh, did you enjoy your four twenty? Did you have a good time? Did you four twenty it up? Was it amateur hour? Was it the St. Patrick's Day of smoking pot? You know, St. Patrick's Day, amateur hour of drinking. People who don't drink at all go out, throw up in the back of their lift, make their lift driver, you know, a nice two hundred and fifty bucks. Puking in the bathroom at bars, ruining bartenders' evenings, probably not tipping very well. What kind of an- what kind of amateur hour antics we got out there on 420, right? Just people falling asleep at bars across the country. <laughs> people who never smoke weed, taking edibles that are too powerful for them, and falling asleep in public. Something I'm very good at, whether inebriated or not. <laughs> What'd you do on 420, guys? What did you guys do? Did you get high? Did you go see Sam Talent at Taft's Brewporium in Cincinnati? One of the best. Sam Talent, so funny. I was laughing so hard, my face was was covered in moisture 
from the tiers. One of the best. Sam. Ta- hey, speaking of Sam Talent, speaking of 420 this weekend, Yuck Fest, Indianapolis. Sam Talent's going to be there. Is he going to be on Buzzmania? I don't know. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. But he's going to be in Indianapolis. And if you're in Indianapolis, you need to go see see his show. I don't know what when he's on. But I know when I'm on. I'm on Thursday, April 25th, 930 at Liberty Street Pub. And then Friday morning, 11 a.m., Buzzmania. Me, Josh O'Neill from two episodes ago. We got our gimmick wrestling show. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then what's that? I've got five dates coming up in Columbus, Ohio at Whiskey Bear Comedy Festival. You're going to have to tune in to the end of the episode to find out when I'm performing there, though. So, so much going on with the presidential election. You know, uh, a lot of this episode, I'm going to warn you, it's Bernie heavy. It's Bernie propaganda. And honestly, it, I, you know, we'll see how things go, but I feel like this podcast is going to be pretty heavily Bernie propaganda because uh, Pete Buttigieg just uh, officially announced he's he's been he's been running for like three months, but it was just an exploratory committee, not official. He's officially in the race. Joe Biden's expected to announce this week. It's Sunday the 21st. They're expecting even maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow morning I'll wake up. Joe Biden's officially in the race. And they're already trying to stack the deck against Bernie. They've been having these these meetings, like establishment people have been having these meetings that have been dubbed in the media as uh, what are we going to do about Bernie meetings? Uh, Some of the people that have been attending these meetings, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg, the Mayor Pete. You know, the millennial mayor, the gay mayor. Here's here's the thing about all these people who got a lot of uh, they got a lot of media coverage in the 2018 elections because they were running, you know, these um, these these media worthy campaigns. Pete Buttigieg, Beto, um, you know, in, in comparison to what they're up against. They seem pretty progressive and like they're young and people are like interested in them. But now now they're doing these. They're in the president. They're the fact that they got this media buzz makes them now think that, uh, oh, I should be president. And there are probably political operatives and uh, consultants who are pushing in them in that direction. So the fact that Pete Buttigieg is attending these uh, meetings, these what are we going to do about Bernie meetings with key actors in the Democratic Party? Oh, Nira Tandon was there, too. We're going to talk about Nira here in just a little bit. So I, I've heard a lot of like progressives saying, you know, Pete, I like him. He's young. Um, he's gay. And end of things that I like about him. <laughs> you know what? Uh, you know, Pete, be mayor. Be mayor in South Bend. It's Bernie's fucking turn. <laughs> what if that? What if that's just the angle that I start taking? It's it's Bernie's turn. Step aside, young man. But I mean, if you're if you're gonna here's here's the thing about all these establishment candidates. None of them are coming out standing for anything. So, anyways, there, there's all of these ma, you know, these center right, moderate. Um, no, really just no platform candidates coming out and the establishment's kind of standing with them and trying to pump them up. And a lot of them kind of keep coming and going like the ba- the Beto thing seems to be fizzling out already, much like Kamala before him. Um, it's just not catching fire. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see if Mayor Pete lifts off or if uh, if Joe Biden takes his place as the favorite in the establishment, which probably Joe, Joe Biden, man, Joe Biden, he, he could have retired. And his legacy could have been that Uncle Joe character, that 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 uh, that like parody that the Onion ran with throughout the entire presidency, where he's just this kooky uncle, weird dude, and the guy who uh, you know cried when Obama surprised him with that Medal of Freedom or whatever. Um, but no, he's going to enter his name into an over an already overcrowded field with the most popular politician in the country, Bernie Sanders, but because uh, the corporate media, which is already on his side, has been considering him the front runner, even though he hasn't announced yet because they're doing that. And because they're already on his side, he's going to 
he's going to run and he's going to tarnish his name because so much shit is already coming out about him. His voting, his problematic voting record is already being scrutinized. Um, you know, the, the creepy, his creepy demeanor with women, whether young or old, whether a child or a woman his age, uh, he's a little touchy-feely, a little bit of a creep. I don't think he gets close to uh, Trump levels of creep, but creepy nonetheless. Uh, so that stuff's all coming out, and you know he's he's using he's gonna use he's gonna be like, well, you know, those are all just a product of my generation. Well, you're a little bit younger than Bernie, so you're gonna have to uh, explain that because Bernie's older than you, and he's been as progressive as he is now since the '60s, since he was in college. So you know, rectify that bullshit. So like I said, on this episode, Bernie heavy. If you don't want to hear about Bernie, maybe don't listen to this episode. I'm just kidding. Listen, be propagandized. Listen to me. I'm the only one you can trust when it comes to Bernie. Okay. Only me, nobody else. We're going to cover Bernie's town hall on Fox news last week. It was incredible. We're going to talk about the resolution to end our support for Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen. We're going to talk about the center for American progress, trying to throw Bernie under the bus. And we're going to talk a little bit about Barack Obama and how he's trying to tell progressives how they should do shit and why he's the last person we should be listening to when it comes to progressive politics. And we're also going to talk a little bit about tipping. Do you tip 20% at least? Because if you don't, you're a real piece of shit. Let's go. So CNBC has got this new, I don't know, uh, web series designed to go viral to appeal or upset millennials like me. So let's just play it. This simple tipping trick could save you over $400 a year. We're going to life hack tipping. We're going to life hack whether or not the people that serve you food are going to get a living wage. And we're going to see if we can save a little money ourselves by denying them wages. So you just wrapped up a nice meal, maybe even a nice date. Bro, I'm not your date. Oh, cute. Oh, it's funny. Oh, oh, they showed the guy holding the boom mic and he says, I'm not your date. It's comedy. Ooh, oh, you're so, oh, CNBC, so silly. Figure out how much you're gonna tip. It's a seemingly insignificant decision, but it can add up over time. So he just says that uh, how much you tip seems like an insignificant decision. (laughs) If you think that how much you tip is an insignificant decision. You are so far removed from the struggles of the working class, uh, the, me- the members of the working class that you interact with probably on a pretty frequent basis, the people that bring you food, serve you drinks, uh, so that you don't have to get up, and who don't even make minimum wage to do that. So that making one simple change could save you over $400 without looking cheap. So the question is, what's the right way to tip? And that really gets to the to the point of it. You don't want to look cheap. You just want to be cheap. So how do you not make the person that you're trying to woo think that you're a cheap piece of shit? Don't make them think it, but still be it. And how much is the right amount? I generally tip 10%. 15% of tips. 10%. My tip would be get a better job, go to school, and get an education. That's my tip right there. If they give good service, I'll give them like $5. Hopefully it's not a surprise to learn that it's customary to tip 15 to 20% on top of your bill, according to the etiquette experts at the Emily Post Institute. But what exactly does that apply to? For example, take a look at my bill. It was $100 and then 108 after tax. All right, I know that they're using $100 because it's a nice round number, but if you're spending $100 on a meal for two, you can afford to tip as much as you possibly can. 
So do you tip on the pre-tax or the post-tax total? Pre-tax. Post-tax. After-tax, generally. Okay, what's the difference? Because I'm confused there. <laughs> the guy dressed up like Captain America is confused about tipping. Interesting. Etiquette standpoint, tipping on pre-tax is absolutely fine. You don't have to tip on what you are already being taxed upon. Uh, the tip is not a tax. The tip is providing a living wage to the people who are bringing you food. People use two common tricks to calculate a tip. You just move the decimal point? Oh, you double the tax. So using the decimal trick on a bit like this is actually pretty simple. You just move the decimal over and double it to get 20%. But there's another way, which is just doubling the tax. In a city like New York, where tax is 8.875%, that gets you a tip of about 18%. Now, it might not seem like much, but tipping that way actually saves you $4. And if you do that again in a week, that's a whopping $8. But if you extrapolate that out for 52 weeks in a year, you could save over 400 bucks. Awesome. I'm going to pay before a text. Now that I'm thinking about it, it feels a little dirty. Dirty? It just feels like you're going out of your way almost to look at the number that's clearly going to give that person less money just because. In the end, how much you choose to tip is up to you. Thank you. How much you choose to save is just as well. Your card got declined. Oh, maybe you should try it again. I tried it four times. Oh, it's so funny. They're so funny when they're talking about stealing money from the people that bring us food. <laughs> uh, I like that probably the only person they talked to was that last woman. She She's probably the only person that they talked to that was actually a, that was actually a waiter. These people who were talking about tipping 10% or like maybe $5 if it was good. Service. Actually, $5 might be good depending on where you eat. But uh, but the, this, this, this is totally insane. Like it, at the end of the day, we shouldn't be tipping at all. We should not live in a society where we allow business owners to pay their staff less than a living wage and then pass that off to the customer. Build a living wage into the cost of the meal and we don't have to deal with this bullshit. The person who you have hired to serve food at your establishment, whether or not they get to eat that night should not be determined by whatever random dipshit walks through the door. Because there are a lot of people who will tip 0% after sitting at a table for three hours and spending a lot of money. So the fact that uh, CNBC is putting out this this quirky propaganda gaslighting bullshit, because that is what this is. It's like, you should be tipping less. Save your money. Those people don't deserve it. So tip, tip 25%. Tip 30%. If you can afford it, and if you can't afford to tip 20 minimum, regardless of the service, because that's none of your fucking business. You're not the waiter's boss. The, the manager is their boss. And if they don't think that they're doing a good job, they should fire them. It is not up to you to determine if they did a good job and for whether or not you should give them extra, because that's the problem with tipping. It was taught to me as a child that you tip based on how good the service was. But what is not told to you, I think in, in, in Ohio, I'm pretty sure that wait staff, they make something like two bucks an hour or something like that. And if they're at a good restaurant or at a good establishment, they're going to make a lot more than that based on tips. But how about across the board, we improve the quality of service by forcing businesses to pay a living wage. There are there are places where you can save money. Tipping should not be one of them. We should not live in a society where tipping is expected. If a business wants to provide a service, they need to pay their employees enough to live without relying on, ho hopefully, the generosity of the customer. It is the employer's responsibility to make sure that someone makes a living wage. So this other thing from CNBC, it's not a video. I thought it was. 
Um, but it's from the same thing. CNBC, make it. Here's the tweet. Most successful millionaire CEOs are psychopaths. Here's why it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Here's why it doesn't have to be a bad thing. And you know what? Good on CNBC for uh, finally taking away some of those stigmas of mental health issues. And the headline, one in five business leaders may have... Oh, that is the headline. Never mind. So the reason I found this is because AOC tweeted it. And here's what she had to say about it. Justifying psychopathy because low empathy, narcissism, dishonesty, and lack of deep emotional attachments are traits that have made a tiny handful of people billionaires, yet land many more people in prison while not getting adequate mental health care, is very 2019. So she makes a really great point there. I, I don't know if I really want to go. I don't, I don't even want to read the article because I don't care why uh, one in five CEOs being a psychopath is actually a good thing. It's actually not so bad um, because she makes a great point there. A lot of people spend their entire lives in jail because they have serious mental health issues. And instead of being able to get the help that they need, the treatment that they need, you know, they live in an, a low income neighborhood. They get arrested for some ticky tacky bullshit. And then they end up, you know, going through the, the, the prison life cycle where they're just in the system and they keep going back into the system because they're not getting the help that they need. So uh, CNBC can, uh, can fuck off with uh, why being a psychopath is, is good if it earns you billions of dollars. Barack Obama did a town hall in Berlin earlier this month. Uh, let's, let's just hear what he had to say about progressivism. What's true for me when I was a president or an elected official, it's going to be true for you as well, even within your own organizations. And one of the things I do worry about sometimes uh, among progressives in the United States, maybe it's true here as well, um, is a certain kind of rigidity where we say, ah, I'm sorry, this is how it's going to be. And then we start sometimes creating what's called a... Uh, circular firing squad where you start shooting at your allies because one of them is straying from purity on the you know where you rarely hear about circular firing squads you, there's certainly infighting but it never really ends up affecting policy uh, you never hear about about the republican party because they remain united in the most radical right-wing bullshit that they can pull and then they don't cede any ground whatsoever and when that happens typically the overall effort and movement weakens so uh, i think whether you are speaking as a citizen or as a you know political leader or as an organizer, whether you're in the nonprofit space or in the civic space or you're in the political arena, you have to recognize that the way we've structured democracy requires you to take into account people who don't agree with you. And that, by definition, means you're not going to get 100% of what you want. So what he's doing here is he's he's presenting it in a way that just sounds rational, right? That's, of course, like democracy, you have to take into account other people's opinions. Like, uh, of course you do, but that's not really what is a big problem in the United States. It's not that progressives are too, are, are too unwilling to cede ground for their cause. It's that there is a right wing and there is a pretend left wing in our government, and the right wing gets whatever it wants, whenever it wants, whether Barack Obama's president or whether Donald Trump is president. And this idea that you've got to listen to everybody is beside the point. 
remaining open-minded to people's ideas is one thing, but that's, that's not really what he's talking about. But you should take some time to think in your own mind and continually refine and reflect. What are my core principles? Because the danger is if you don't know what your principles are, that's when you compromise your principles away. So you have to know ahead of time, here's what I'm willing to compromise on, here are the things that I'm not. Here are some of the things Obama was willing to compromise. Uh, Standing up to Wall Street. He railed against, uh, you know, he railed against the banks in 2008. He got elected and filled his cabinet with people hand-selected by Citigroup. Here's something else he was willing to compromise on. Healthcare. Healthcare for all. I voted for Obama in 2008 because he ran on a platform of implementing a single-payer Medicare for all healthcare system. And what we got was Romney care. What else was Obama uh, willing to compromise on? War. We started with the two wars that Bush and his cronies got us into, and uh, he got us into a total of seven now. So he's willing to compromise on war. So, so what aren't you willing to compromise on, Barack? This is so fucking disappointing. This finger-wagging, corporatist, pretend-left bullshit. You have to listen to both sides, because here's the thing. Barack Obama, wh- whether he put this on as you know an act he was pretending to be lefty and then he's like but you know what healthcare insurance companies i got your back baby this is going to be good for you and it's not going to be good for a lot of people a lot more people are going to be covered because we're going to force you to cover them um but we're also going to force a lot of them to pay premiums that they probably can't afford and it's going to it's going to fuck them pretty hard so rest assured health insurance industry you're going to be fine. The way that we are told that we're supposed to look at the Obama legacy is that like he he was uh he was a compromiser to a fault. He tried way too hard to compromise with a party that's not going to compromise with any sort of left-wing agenda. He's acting like, "Oh, he had to do Obamacare. He had to fill his cabinet with Citigroup because that's how you actually progress. You you cede ground to the opponent to the point where you don't get anything done. They get everything that they want, but it placates the lefties because they're like, well, he's trying. He's doing the best that he can. In Washington right now, we have the Democratic Party, which is a center-right corporate, for the most part, other than a few of these newer members, party. And then we've got the party of Mitch McConnell, which is the party of obstruction, which is the party of, I get what I want. I cede no ground to anybody else ever for even a little bit. Barack Obama failed to stand his ground to get his Supreme Court nominee in during the last year of his presidency. Why? But but John, we didn't have the votes to get Merrick Garland through. Well, Obama sure didn't push back that hard. Do you remember him going out every single day, screaming at the top of his lungs, we need to fill this seat. It's been open for too long. These are political games. No, because they wanted to use that as a political card to force people who are on the fence about Hillary Clinton to vote for her because there is too much at stake. There is a Supreme Court nomination at stake and we can't have Trump picking it. Well, look where that got us. Look where listening to the way that Barack Obama does politics got us. It got us Trump. The time of this polite pseudo-leftist like Barack Obama, like Bill Clinton, where they, on their face, act like they're these progressives. They, They campaign as these populists and then they, you know, they legislate like Republicans, is over. The Democratic Party will die if we nominate somebody like Beto O'Rourke or Pete Buttigieg. It's not going to happen. We tried it twice, and it got us Trump, so it's over. And if you uh, and if you don't buy if you don't buy what I'm saying that that um, that Barack Obama is actually 
a right winger? Just listen to Barack Obama. The truth of the matter is, is that uh, my policies are so mainstream that, you know, if if I had said the same policies that I have back in the 1980s, uh, I'd be considered a moderate Republican. I mean, you know, uh, what I believe in is uh, a tax system that's fair. Uh, I don't think government can solve every problem. I think that we should make sure that we're helping young people go to school. We should make sure that our government is building good roads and bridges and hospitals and, and airports so that uh, you know, we have a good infrastructure. I do believe that uh, it makes sense that everybody in America, as rich as this country is, shouldn't go bankrupt because they get sick. Uh, so the things I believe in are things that I think most of your viewers believe in. Sure would have been nice if he could have gotten uh, any of those things done. And I understand that Mitch McConnell and the Republican Party stood in his way. So there, re- there really was only so much that he could have got done. But if he's somebody that we're supposed to look to as a progressive, maybe he should be a strong progressive voice and not go out there and wag his finger about how you have to compromise because all his administration was was compromise instead of instead of doing this kind of dog and pony show of compromising with the republicans and trying to find a middle ground um, and, and never finding a middle ground because the republicans won't find a middle ground they will only accept what they want um i mean how how is this what he's still preaching he's got he's got nothing riding on this anymore politically right financially maybe you know this is not the guy that we need to be listening to if we want to have a healthcare system that benefits everybody, if we want to get out of these useless wars. And this is definitely not the guy we need to be listening to when it comes to regulating the banks. Bernie did a town hall on Fox News Monday night. He got uh, this was this has been happening over the past few weeks, but you know he got some criticism for it from the, you know, corporatist left because the Democratic Party said they're not going to have debates on Fox News for their primaries. And I understand why, you know, they are a propaganda outlet. Only problem is that uh, so is MSNBC, so is CNN, so are uh, a lot of these corporately funded news organizations, entertainment organizations, whatever they really are. But anyways, uh, I support Bernie going on Fox News. You know, if they are dumb enough to let him go on unfiltered live in front of their audience, I mean, he's going to win in a goddamn landslide because the crowd goes wild for him. Let's just play some of this and uh, we'll talk about it. All right. So 52 percent. So would you be willing to pay 52 percent on the money that you made? Oh, you can volunteer. You can send a check. Oh, you can volunteer, too. We have a. But you suggested, suggested that that's what uh, and Martha, why don't you give? You make more money than I well, do. Why I didn't, don't you I give? didn't suggest a wealth tax. And she's not running for president. And- so I actually think that's a legit question. It feels like a gotcha a little bit, but uh, I think that's I think it's a question that people rationally uh, think. No. Do I think that? I think so. I don't, but I think some people do. They think, well, why doesn't he just volunteer to pay that level of taxes if he's making that money? If he really wants to walk the walk, he should walk the walk. If you want a 54% tax rate, why why don't you just pay that? And on its face, that sounds all right. But I actually had to think about this for a minute, too, because I wasn't sure what the response was. I feel like his response does leave a bit to be desired. He's just like, well, why don't you pay? Which also fair question. Well, you know. It's not a fair question because they don't they don't believe that rich people should have to pay more taxes. So that's the problem. Uh, 
you know, what you would have to ask them to do is like, well, you don't believe in taxes, so why don't you just not pay your taxes? Well, because you're legally forced to. Well, I'm not legally... F- I don't know. I don't know if that argument holds up, but that's that's my thought. Here's the thing. We all we all live in the system that exists, and it's not like he's been a multimillionaire for his entire life or insanely wealthy, obscenely wealthy his entire life. He's made a fairly good living, of course, as a senator and as a mayor. And was he governor of Vermont? I'm not sure, but he was uh, he was a representative of Vermont before he was senator. So you're making a lot of money just from that, even without the massive amounts of lobbying money, which I don't think he took. Just from the standard salary, you're making a lot of money. So he, he's lived a comfortable life, but he's not living an extravagant life. And even if he is, he's spend he you know, he's making that money being one of being the only representative, the only senator who's going out there and advocating so much for a higher tax rate for wealthy people like himself. I would argue not like himself until recently, you know, he's only, you know, made a million dollars in a year the past couple years when he really blew up in fame. So, he's he's not of this elite class that he's aiming at. One and two, he will, you know, he 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 will pay his fair share of taxes. But we live in the system that we live in, and he would be putting himself at an economic disadvantage when he is in a position of privilege and should take advantage of the money that he has and affect the most amount of change that he possibly can. Because he's in that position of privilege and he acknowledges that he's in that position of privilege, he can utilize that and try to change the country for the better. Well, why don't you just give up 54% of your income to taxes? Since you want that for your class. Well, when once everybody's doing that, I'll do that. But until then, I'm not going to put myself in an economic disadvantage. I'm going to take advantage of my privilege and try to fix this broken system. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to continue Fight for a wealth tax. And we're going to demand that we end the absurdity. Where major corporation after major company, you know what? Yeah, in, this tax bill, in this right tax now. bill that you are defending. Families like the Koch brothers, of course you're defending it. Families like the Koch brothers get billions and billions of dollars in savings. That is absurd. Trump wants to repeal the entire estate tax. Huge tax breaks for billionaires. You got another question? We have many questions. We have many questions. And listen, we want to get substance. We want to get details. Well, let's do it. And the audience has a ton of questions, too. All right. So just to add on to what I was saying, he just said, you know, the Koch brothers make, you know, they save billions. They, the Koch brothers save more than Bernie would, would pay in his taxes anyways. So that's that's how much of a, a disadvantage we as progressives are at because, you know, we're up against the, the most wealthy, powerful people in the history of the world. So he's not going to add another disadvantage by giving away half of his money because that's something he he's... He's made all of this money despite not kowtowing to these corporate interests that all of his colleagues have, you know, a lot of his colleagues have. A lot of his colleagues are more, are richer than he is. All of his colleagues are richer than he is. He still makes less money than every other senator. He's still the least wealthy senator. So take, so take that in. So he, he's being chided for, uh, for not walking the walk. But it's like he's trying to make that walk, and it, he, we will never achieve that if he st- if he starts giving away half of the money that he's he's uh, using to his advantage. I am talking in circles now, so let's move on. I am honestly surprised that this segment made it onto television, let alone Fox News. So uh, here we go. 
Hey, what's your question Hi. for Senator Sanders? Hi, Senator Sanders. Welcome to the Lehigh Valley. So my question is, the definition of socialism is just a society agreeing to work together and combining their resources to make sure everyone is protected and taken care of. How can you challenge the idea that socialism is bad in the minds of well, the public? Wow. <laughs> On the network that has vilified socialism since I've been aware of them, Fox News called Obama a socialist, Hillary Clinton was a socialist. They spent all this time calling these, uh, you know, pretty establishment Democrats socialists. Uh, they are the network that cried socialist. So uh, pretty notable that uh, they allowed someone on to ask that question. I, I have to wonder if... She phrased it in a different way to get on the air. Like if she tried to make it seem like she was going to ask it in like a negative way, but that was very positive. You know, she explained on a very basic level what, what the idea of socialism is. It's a, a, a community acting like a community instead of like a cutthroat marketplace where we're trying to beat each other out. So anyways, let's see what uh, what Senator Sanders has to say about that. Ask them, not me. <laughs> but is this going to be a constant thing? No, it, <laughs> I mean, let, no, it will not. All right. Okay, so yeah, I, I forget, he forgot. He says that. He says, well, why don't you ask them? It points at the Fox commentators or the uh, whatever. And he really, he really, uh, he ribs them a lot. You know, he's going after Fox and they even ask him to stop. He kind of did there, but he asks him, he's like, hey, can we, can we stop? We're giving you a platform. Ugh. <laughs> well, don't be a, a shitty propagandist. All right. All right. <laughs> you ask me fair questions, I will give you fair answers. Thank you, sir. That's the deal. That's also something he uh, returns to throughout this entire town hall is every time a question is asked, he says, I think that's a fair question. And there are a couple of times where he's like, that's not a fair question. You're politicizing something and I'm not going to answer it. Basically, uh, when he kind of skirts whatever they asked and then they try to say, no, you got to answer my question. He's like, it's not a real question. That's a, that's that's some political bullshit. Uh, so that's something I really like that he did here. And, you know. Not everybody thought that I should come on this show. And we appreciate it. All right. Your network does not necessarily have a great deal of respect in my world, but I thought it was important for me to be here and have a serious discussion about serious issues. Sally asked. And uh, I, I, I agree with that. Something that so-called liberals hammered Dennis Kucinich on is the fact that he was a contributor to Fox News, which Donna Brazil now is. No one ever, no, none of those people gave Donna Brazil shit um, because she's not going to push for a progressive platform. She's not running for a progressive agenda in government. She's just going to uh, be a stenographer to power over at Fox News now. But anyways, so yeah, I'm. Uh, it's good that he went on because they're going to regret it. They're going to regret it the way that CNN sort of regrets giving Trump all that free airtime. That's a good question. <laughs> Thanks for that question, Sally. And let's, let's talk about it. And I think it's an important issue, but it will come up. What is democratic socialism? Fair question? Okay. So let's talk about it. Democratic socialism, to me, is creating a government and an economy and a society which works for all rather than just the top 1%. It means ending the absurd inequalities that exist today. And I want to lay this out because you're not going to hear this much on Fox and you're not going to hear this much in the media in general. And the American people have got to conclude whether we think it is appropriate and what America is about to have three families owning more wealth than the bottom half of the American society, 160 million people whether it's appropriate for the top 1% to own more wealth 
than the bottom 92%. Whether it is right that 49% of all new income goes to the top 1%, when many people, Brett and Martha, who are watching this program, are working two or three jobs just to pay the bills. So first of all, we want to create a government that works for all of us, and we want to create a political system which is based on one person, one vote, not billionaires buying elections as a result of this disastrous Citizens United Supreme Court decision. So the crowd loves him. Clearly a lot of Bernie supporters showed up to it, but, uh, you know, you gotta, gotta hand it to Fox News for whatever reason. They didn't stack this town hall the way CNN did. Uh, why not? I, I'm not certain. I can't, I can't, I still haven't figured it out because it would have been very easy for them to just fill this with a bunch of, you know, uh, bad faith actors on the right who are just going to uh, attack him. But, the, you know, they gave him a pretty fair shake. So I like the way he's framed this here. Uh, it, it is often discussed that capitalism is the freest of systems or uh, whatever you want to call them ideologies it's been a long day but what he's doing here without saying the word capitalism without uh trying to make a bogeyman of something he says look the system that we have is clearly not fair it's clearly not democratic the three wealthiest families own more than the rest of the country or whatever, the bottom, whatever he said. You heard it. I don't need to reiterate. But that's a clear flaw in the system that no amount of uh, mental gymnastics is going to get you out of. You're not going to be one of those fa families. And furthermore, furthermore, when I talk, and you know, people have different views of capitalism or democratic socialism, whatever it may be, but this is my view. I believe that human beings, especially in a wealthy, democratic, civilized society like our own, are entitled to certain basic rights. So let me be very clear, and I'm sure we'll discuss it later in the show, Brett. I believe that healthcare is a human right, not a privilege. Okay? And, and that's a Fox News audience. Probably not generally probably not fox news viewers if we're being honest but still they got in the door they got on fox news fox news viewers are hearing a crowd of people on their network you know quite possibly the only network that they consume every single day they're seeing a crowd of people reacting that way to a socialist so that's why it's important to have someone like bernie sanders someone like Dennis Kucinich on Fox News. And arguably, this is a lot more helpful than what Dennis Kucinich did. I haven't seen all of Dennis's clips, but he was often brought on kind of like Alan Combs. That's kind of the role they had him playing, like the kooky leftist. And he's it's easy for him to, you know, get portrayed that way because of his physical stature and appearance and uh the fact that he's very animated. But whatever. Um, he still he still got the message out there, and that's important. But what, what Bernie is doing here, he's in a position of a lot of power. He's he's controlling this conversation. There's these two moderators or whatever you want to call them, but he's I mean, he's dominating the night. He he stops them in their tracks, and it's clear who's in control of the the narrative in the the very skewed arena of Fox News. I believe I believe that there is something embarrassingly wrong when the United States of America is the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care to all people. I live 50 We're miles from the Canadian border. We're going to get in okay. detail about Medicare. Right. Pause. So he's about to address his own inherit his own privilege. Back on the, the taxes briefly, you know, when you wrote, wrote the book and you made the money, yeah. isn't that the definition of capitalism, the American dream? No. I mean, you know, 
What we want is a country where everybody has opportunity. You know, I have a college degree. Like I'm a United States senator. But a lot of people don't have a college degree. A lot of people are not United States senators. I want everybody in this country to be able to have health care, to have education, to when they turn on the water, have dr drinkable water, not toxic water. So what we are fighting for, Brett, is a society not where just a few people can make a whole lot of money, but a society where everybody in this country has the opportunity to live in security uh, and dignity. All right, Senator, we want to get back to audience questions. I, I do want to say that we understand, and we're very grateful that you're here. We are giving you an hour of substance and talk on our airwaves so we can get over the Fox thing. If, if, if you're all right with that. Okay. Brian is a city... <laughs> he just shrugs with his hand. The audience loves him, man. I mean, yeah, that's, that, that's the clear indication that these are all Bernie fans. But, you know, like I said. Anyways, this is another question I was surprised to hear. I guess maybe not surprised, but uh, it was good to see him respond to this because he has not particularly called the DNC out on what they did to him in 2016. And he's been very careful about it. I'm sure he has his reasons, but he's forced to confront it right here. Nobody knows for sure, but it looks like Vice President Joe Biden is likely to get into the race. Are you worried that the DNC, if that, you know, he would be a strong establishment candidate. He's obviously been around for a long time. Are you worried that the DNC might put its finger on the scale again the way that they did to you back in 2016 with Hillary Clinton? Well, you're right. We went through that in 2016. Yeah. And I think we have come a long way since then. So we, uh, we speak to the DNC uh, every week. Uh, and I think the process uh, will be fair. Uh, one of the important changes that we made uh, and we won is, as you will recall, both of you recall, in the last time around, the 2016, Secretary Clinton had 500 superdelegates lined up behind her before the first vote was cast in Iowa. And that seemed to me pretty dumb and unfair. Well, that process has been changed. Bernie bro calling Hillary dumb and unfair. Uh, I forgot he said that, actually. That's even, uh, this This might be, I could be mistaken, but this might be the most extensively he's addressed this particular issue. And I think that works well for everybody. But let me ask you just, because now the process is that in the next round, the no. superdelegates would come into play. And with so many candidates on the Democratic side, it's possible that somebody doesn't get 50%. Yep. Yep. Are you concerned about it? Are you talking to the DNC about that? Could well, that that's the, what the rule is. I yeah. mean, that's where we are right now. But you're right. Uh, I mean, I would hope that the Democratic Party understands what they did some years ago. And that is what we want to hear from is not political insiders and campaign contributors. You want to hear from ordinary people in Iowa and Pennsylvania, and they should determine who the next Democratic nominee will be. Okay, let's go. Boom. Jordan is a student from Scotch Plains. Uh, he has the next question. Hi, Senator. Thank you so much for being here. My question is, why do you believe that the government can provide better health care than the private sector? And why should people who like their plans be forced to switch? Okay. Um, first of all, let's be clear what we mean by Medicare for all, okay? Medicare is a government-run program for seniors, which is widely popular and quite effective. Uh, in 1965, when Lyndon Johnson passed that bill, it was called by some Republicans socialism and everything else. But you go to the average senior and you say, how do you feel about Medicare? And they will tell you that they will oppose any Republican effort to cut Medicare, and by the way, in Trump's budget, he has proposed an $845 billion cut over a 10-year period to Medicare, which seniors don't want. So to answer your question, we are not talking about government-run health care. The Veterans Administration 
and most veterans think that that's a pretty good healthcare system. Talk to the American Legion and the VFW, they strongly defend the uh, veterans' uh, healthcare. That's government run. What we are talking about is simply a single payer insurance program, which means that you will have a card which has Medicare on it. You'll go to any doctor that you want. You'll go to any hospital that you want. And by the way, millions of people today are in networks which prevent them from doing this. So this gives you freedom of choice with regard to the doctors you go to or the hospitals you go to. But here is the main point when we talk about healthcare. Currently, right now, we've got 30 million people, zero health insurance, and many of you and tens of millions of Americans are underinsured with high deductibles and copayments. Is that correct? All right, so what happens is there are estimates that some 30,000 Americans die every single year because they don't go to the doctor when they should, all right? Meanwhile, we pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. One out of five Americans are getting ripped off by the drug companies who make billions in profits while charging us the highest prices in the world. And on top of all of that, we spend twice as much per capita on healthcare as do the people of any other nation. So the question that I throw back to you, do you think it makes sense to spend twice as much per capita as the people of any other nation and be the only country on, in the world not to guarantee healthcare Senator, to all people? Um, this audience, this audience has a lot of Democrats in it. It has uh, Republicans, independents, Democratic socialists, conservatives. Uh, I want to Ask the audience a question, if you could raise your hand here. A short so this is where it starts to really get good. He's going to do a little poll to convey how not popular what he just said is in this room. Of hands of how many people get their insurance from work, private insurance right now. How many get it from private insurance? Um, I'd say at least four-fifths of the room has their hands up. Okay. Now, of those, how many are willing to transition to what the senator says, a government-run system. I would say most of those hands stayed up. You can watch it yourself. It's on YouTube. It's on Fox News. But, uh, you know, the screaming definitely does make it seem like everybody has their hands up, but uh, barely anybody put their hands down. There's 180 million people on private insurance. All right, let's deal with that, Brett. And they they would be lost, right? To your system. Fair question. Okay. question. And it's a fair question. Is it a fair question? It's a fair question. And let's answer it. And it's very good. Good. Thank and you. I know it's what the right wing throws out, so let me answer it. All right? <laughs> Millions. <laughs> I, lo- uh, I think his low-key condescension to these hosts throws them off enough <laughs> that they don't know what to do, and it's pretty great. People every single year lose their health insurance. You know why? They get fired or they quit, and they go to another employer. I was the mayor for eight years. You know what I did, what probably every mayor in America does, is you look around for the best insurance program, the most cost-effective insurance. You change insurance. Every year, millions of workers wake up in the morning and their employer has changed the insurance that they have. Maybe they like the doctors. People are nodding their heads, okay? So this is not new every year. Now, what we're talking about, actually, is stability, that when you have a Medicare for all, it is there now and will be there in the future. So that that uh, that's that's resonating with me particularly right now. Um, not not that I'm facing any strife whatsoever, but my company, my day job, uh, I have 
uh, health insurance through them, a high deductible plan. Um, and we were on Blue Cross Blue Shield. I found out last week we're switching providers. I had to sign up with Cigna and do all all of that stuff. But, uh, you know, I really love that Blue Cross Blue Shield. I didn't, I didn't want to leave. What is this authoritarian healthcare system <laughs> that we're living in? No, no, I don't give a shit. It didn't increase my cost. At least I don't think it did. That's how fucking privileged I am that it, it doesn't, I don't really know. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. That, 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 that literally is happening to me right now. That's, that's one of the, the big, the big draws to a system like this because you, you're not going to have that anymore. Here's the other thing. People who are on certain plans, like a, like an HMO, if they go to one doctor and their employer or their spouse's employer or their, you know, their parent's employer switches plans, that plan your doctor's no longer in that network. You can't go to that doctor anymore because the, the insurance won't cover it. So that so so we're we're literally using an argument against Medicare for all that doesn't apply to Medicare for all and only applies to the system that we have now. So that's that's pretty insane when you really get down to it. Conservatives are all about freedom of choice when it comes to pretend choices like what healthcare provider you have. And my question to you was, it, it will drive up taxes to pay for health care. And not just the wealthy will pay for that, the middle class oh, will also okay. pay for it. Very good. It. So how do you justify it? And All right, Martha, what are you not including in your discussion? You tell me. I will tell you. <laughs> I, he's, uh, he gives her the, the teacher treatment. Like, well, what, uh, what, are, what are you leaving out? Come on. You know what it is. <laughs> and then she's like, you tell me. He's like, all right, fine. Here we go. You want you want me to frame the narrative? All right, cool. Let's do this. I'm not going to pay any health insurance premiums. You're going to pay one way or the other. But look, Martha. You're going to pay one way or the other. Martha. Whether it's in your income oh, tax or your payroll tax, you're right, going to pay. Look, Healthcare is not free. You never heard me not. suggest that we're going to match. You just said it was going to be free for everyone. It's going to be free at the point of when you use it. Okay? And you go to... Why are you so shocked by this? Because someone's going to pay. Somebody is going <laughs> to pay. <laughs> Why are you so shocked about this? Uh, I I'm not familiar with this woman. She's all, she's all right. She's kind of a shithead, but like um, these are questions that it's good to have asked in front of a Fox News audience because they ask that question. Like these questions uh, are trying. They're trying to be gotcha questions to pump up their narrative for their Fox News audience. And I'm sure Sean Hannity will do his spin or whatever, but. People who are watching this unedited, they're they're seeing they're seeing through the bullshit because there's no bullshit. Who are they? Who okay, pays? okay, one minute, one second. Okay, Relax. I'm just we'll, be Please. we'll get through this it's together. It's a common question. Okay. We had okay. All right. We had so many email questions. Okay. Ask Senator Sanders how he is. Fair going enough. To pay. I got it. <laughs> Fair enough. I got it. Uh, I just love I just love the uh, I almost want to say rapport that he has with these guys. It's uh, it's adversarial, but it's kind of charming. Hypothetically, okay. you're, uh, you are um, self-employed, and you have you've got a husband and two kids, okay? Family of four. Do you know how much that family is paying today for health care? How much? $28,000 a year. Okay. All right, we're spending $11,000 per person. We are saying to that family of four, you ain't going to pay that $28,000. You're not paying any more premiums. You're not paying any more co-payments. You're not paying any more deductibles. How's that? $28,000 you are not paying. But does that mean you're not going to pay something? Of course it does you're going to pay more in taxes. But at the end of the day, the overwhelming majority of people are going to end up paying less for health care because they're not paying premiums, co-payments, and deductibles.
And that that is worth noting yet again that uh, that number that they use for how much healthcare is going to cost. They act like there's nothing that's going to offset that. You know, it costs whatever tens of trillions of dollars for Medicare for all to cover everybody. But that number is not taking into account that we're spending more than that right now on our private health insurance industry, which has one of the highest fatality rates in the civilized world, uh, and, and, and it's more expensive. So that's not working. So I want to transition from Bernie talking about Medicare for All on Fox News to this piece from Bloomberg that I just came across. Biggest U.S. health insurer wades right into Medicare for All fight. The U.S.'s biggest health insurer sharply criticized the Medicare for All proposals being debated by Democrats. For months, health insurers have kept mostly quiet about the proposal, the most ambitious versions of which would replace privately financed health coverage with Medicare. On Tuesday, United Health's chief executive officer said such proposals would amount to, quote, a wholesale disruption of American health care. Um, I, I like that he uses the phrase disruption. He uses the, the word disruption here as if, uh, you know, the corporate class, the capitalists uh, oppose disruption. What if Medicare for All was some startup in the Silicon Valley, right? Build a new app, get some woke developer to develop an app called Medicare for All, and uh, that's what you use to pay for your health care. You're disrupting the industry. You're, you're a genius. You're a visionary. You're the next Steve goddamn Jobs. I also want to note that uh, unless they mention it later, I mean, we're in the first two paragraphs, probably should mention it there for full transparency, but they don't say the name of who this CEO of United Health is, but I looked it up because I'm on top of my shit this week, folks. David S. Wickman, Wichman, Wishman, I don't know how it's pronounced. David S. W-I-C-H-M-A-N-N. The old 2N last name. Anyway, so he says that uh, whole, that, that uh, Medicare for All will be a wholesale disruption of American health care, as in it's going to disrupt his ability to profit millions and millions and millions of dollars off of the suffering of other people. Because that's what you do when you are an executive at a health insurance company. Uh, this I thought this was interesting. As a source of coverage, United Health is almost as large as Medicare itself. It provides health insurance services to 49.7 million people, and last year recorded revenue of 226.2 billion. That's pretty huge, and they're almost as big as the Medicare system itself. Uh, oh, I wanted to say this: Bloomberg not saying the name of the CEO, I guess, so he doesn't get canceled on Twitter or some shit, you know. On Bloomberg, I, I, I guess the billionaire class has got to look out for its own, right? Lack of transparency. Thin green line. Green as in greed. You get it. Health insurance stocks have been rattled in the first few months of 2019 as Democratic presidential contenders have emerged to back variations of Medicare for all. Look at the power that Bernie Sanders has. This Medicare for all debate wouldn't be happening if it were not for him. So yeah, uh, health insurance stocks are shaky. They're not certain if they want to keep it up. Thank you, Bernie. Oh, here's another. Okay, so they did. Okay, so all right. Quote, the options are clear between a government-sponsored or government-run system and the one we have to offer. United Health CEO Dave Wickman said on a conference call with investors Tuesday. So he did say his name. There it is. Wickman said the costs of Medicare for All would, quote, surely have a severe impact on the economy and jobs, all without fundamentally increasing access to care. Without increasing. Oh, this. Oh, Wow. Contenders for the Democratic presidential nomination, including Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, have called for government-run health care as a way of covering more people 
calling it a quote human right, not a privilege. So uh, we got United Health, which is one of the biggest um, health, you know, healthcare uh, health insurance companies, uh, shaking in their boots. Said it's not going to increase access to care. What did he say? He said it's going to imp- he's, he's, it's going to severely impact the economy and jobs. Yeah, it's going to eliminate the healthcare industry and the people in that industry who are useful, who are uh, contributing to the betterment of uh, the human species. They're probably going to get a job in the in the Medicare industry. And uh, CEOs like you, Dave Wickman, I'm sure there's a bank that you can go fucking steal someone's house using. So don't worry. Don't worry, baby boy. You're going to be fine. Capitalism ain't going nowhere, but your uh, your health insurance company might be. Okay, so I guess I guess Bernie kind of prodded him a little bit. Like, this is the result of, uh, I don't know if it was the result, but this is from April 12th, a tweet it's from Bernie Sanders. Our message to Steve Nelson and United Healthcare is simple. When we are in the White House, your greed is going to end. We will end the disgrace of millions of people being denied health care while a single company earns $226 million and its CEO makes $7.5 million in compensation. Take that. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, the gloves are off. And if anyone is arguing that, uh, that Bernie got kid gloves, I mean, if you think Fox News gave him kid gloves, I don't know. He went on Fox News. They didn't have to use kid gloves. They didn't ever have to have him come back. They don't need to kiss his ass. They could have him on once, make him look like a batshit insane guy or make him seem unhinged or direct the narrative somehow and they didn't do that i don't know how that proves my point actually but um anyways this is interesting united health's policy positions broadly align with moderate democrats led by house speaker nancy pelosi the company has said it favors preserving the employer-based health insurance system well yeah of course they want to stick with obamacare it for uh, not anymore, but it forces people to to sign up with them. And it's a huge, I mean, it's it's a guarantee for them. Oh, interesting. So, and then it goes on to say, and expanding, um, the company has said it favors preserving the employer-based health insurance system and expanding coverage to uninsured people through public programs and financing. I, I don't know what necessarily what that means. I don't know how that's different than Met. Oh, I know how it's different from Medicare. Basically, they want the government to pay them directly, whereas Medicare, uh, it, it would be... the. the they want to continue to be the middleman because that's all health insurance is. It's a fucking middleman. So there it is. The health insurance company is shaking in its boots and Bernie's not even close to being president yet. Go, Bernie, go. Congress passed a bipartisan bill to end US, the U.S. support for Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen. And it's the first time that the War Powers Clause, I don't feel like looking it up, uh, was successfully used. And Bernie Sanders spearheaded that effort. And during this town hall, he actually calls out Trump and says, hey, if you're really serious about getting out of these useless wars like you said you were on the campaign trail, then you'll sign the bill we just sent to your desk that was passed bipartisan. This is one of the few bipartisan things we've done. And ironically, it relates to war. Usually the only bipartisan thing that gets done is uh, increasing military spending or bombing other countries. This time we came together to end our involvement in an illegal war, a genocide in Yemen. Here's Elizabeth Warren six minutes ago. Well, this is Tuesday night. I need to go to bed. Congress passed a bipartisan bill to stop U.S. support for Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen. Donald Trump has just vetoed it. We can't keep writing the Saudis blank checks. It's time to end our complicity in this humanitarian crisis. I'll keep on fighting to get it done. So thank you, Liz. Um, but yeah, that I wonder if Trump watched that whole Bernie town hall. 
I feel like he must have, but who knows? But uh, Bernie called his bluff. So he's going to, I mean, he, he handed him a gift right there. Bernie said on Fox News, he said, hey, Don, keep one of your campaign promises. Get us out of one of these damn wars. There's a, there's something coming to your desk today, tomorrow, this week. And he just vetoed it. said just before that Bernie hasn't necessarily addressed some things regarding the way the D, uh, the DNC treated him. So he's not going after the DNC uh, quite yet, but he's going after uh, basically an arm of the DNC, an arm of the corporatist uh, neoliberal faction of the DNC. So this is from, uh, is this from today? What's today? This is from Sunday, New York Times. Senator Bernie Sanders, in a rare and forceful rebuke by a presidential candidate of an influential party ally, has accused a liberal think tank of undermining Democrats' chances of taking back the White House in 2020 by, quote, using its resources to smear him and other contenders pushing progressive policies. Mr. Sanders' criticism of the Center for American Progress, delivered on Saturday in a letter obtained by the New York Times, reflects a simmering ideological battle within the Democratic Party and threatens to reopen wounds from the 2016 primary between him and Hillary Clinton's allies. The letter airs criticisms shared among his supporters that the think tank, which has close ties to Mrs. Clinton and the Democratic Party establishment, is beholden to corporate donors and has worked to quash a leftward shift in the party led by Mr. Sanders. So I'm going to open this letter. April 13th, 2019 is on Bernie's letterhead. Dear members of the board of the Center for American Progress and CAP Action Fund, I write to express my deep concern and disappointment with the destructive role that the Center for American Progress and its affiliated action fund arm are playing in their critical mission to defeat Donald Trump. Last week, you published an article on Think Progress criticizing me for my appearance and for the income I earned from writing a book. Then, a day later, you published a video that dishonestly attacked me for hypocrisy in my effort to address income inequality in America a video that was excitedly discussed on many conservative websites. Listen to how he's constructing this. Sadly, I'm not the only candidate in the 2020 field who has experienced personal attacks from your institution. My friend and colleague Elizabeth Warren was unfairly targeted by a November 2017 article on Think Progress that echoed Donald Trump's bad faith claims that she was being a hypocrite about her ancestry. That attack was linked on the Drudge Report and immediately immersed her into a rather unhelpful debate. Again, in October 2018, you published an article stating that she was hurting Native American people. So right now, right here, he's using their tactics against them. What's what's one of the top things that a lot of the people, a lot of the mouthpieces for the Center for American Progress use? Bernie's not a real Democrat. He's not for party unity. Well, it certainly sounds to me that the Center of American Progress not really in favor of party unity when it comes to to someone like Elizabeth Warren. Seems a little sexist, don't you think? I'm going to keep reading this. That's not all. In February of this year, an article on Think Progress attacked another friend and colleague of mine, Cory Booker. All right, going to Cory Booker, pretty establishment. So, all right, let's go. Cory Booker, for moving in a progressive direction and joining with me on a prescription drug importation bill. Center for American Progress leader Neera Tandon repeatedly calls for unity while simultaneously maligning my staff and supporters and belittling progressive ideas. So I actually hadn't read this. So, all right, cool. I worry that the corporate money CAP is receiving is inordinately and inappropriately influencing the role it is playing in the progressive movement. I and other Democratic candidates are running campaigns based on principles and ideas, not on engaging in mudslinging or personal attacks on each other. Meanwhile, the Center for American Progress is using its resources to smear Senator Booker, Senator Warren, and myself, among others. 
This is hardly the way to build unity or to win the general election. I will be informing my grassroots supporters of the foregoing concerns that I have about the role CAP is playing. Should your actions evolve in the coming months, I am happy to reconsider what kind of partnership we can have. Wow. This counterproductive negative campaigning needs to stop. The Democratic primary must be a campaign of ideas, not of bad faith smears. Please help play a constructive role in the effort to defeat Donald Trump. Thank you for your attention to this important matter, and I await your reply. Sincerely, Bernie motherfucking Sanders. Damn, that is a mic drop. And you know what? I got uh, an email from the Bernie campaign on Saturday or Sunday, and I didn't look at it. I I glanced at it, so let me find it. All right, found it. This is from Sunday. Subject line, we are under attack. Don't love the right-wing-ish tactics, the alarmist, but you know what? As somebody who sends emails for a living... (laughs) You got, you got to draw them in, and it made me open it. I got to give him that. So here we go. Bernie. John, just like that, our campaign is under attack from the corporate establishment. This week, an organization that is the epitome of the political establishment, the Center for American Progress, unleashed and promoted an online attack video against Bernie. And behind the scenes, on the day Bernie introduced his Medicare for All bill, they held a conference call with reporters attacking the bill. That is the Center for American Progress's real goal, trying to stop Medicare for All and our progressive agenda. CAP's leadership has been pretty upfront about their disdain for Bernie, and for all of us. They see our political revolution as a threat to their privilege and influence. So today we have to do something very important. We have to send a message, blah, 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 they're asking for money, I'm not sending more money, I already send monthly, I already send monthly. Uh, scroll ahead. The Center for American Progress is an organization whose massive annual budget is bankrolled by billionaires and corporate executives that profit from finance, pharmaceutical companies, fossil fuels, and sending American jobs overseas. This is a comp- this is a pack that goes by Center for American Progress when what it should say is duping liberals into thinking that we stand with them. But really, we support the billionaire class because they support us. Last year alone, they took funding from financial giants like Bank of America and Blackstone, whose CEO was chair of Trump's business council and is a leading Republican donor. Before that, they cashed checks from companies like Blue Cross Blue Shield, Pfizer, Walmart, and defense contractors like General Dynamics and BAE Systems. Bay? Before anyone else? Missiles? Damn. They also took hundreds of thousands of dollars from the fossil fuel pumping United Arab Emirates while the country was bombing innocent civilians in Yemen, a war Bernie has led the fight to end. The Center for American Progress has deep connections to the economic and political elites who have done so much damage to working families in every zip code. And what we must do today is send a message that we are prepared to fight back against those who are working day and night to defeat our movement. Wow. Uh, I, I actually just learned some stuff about the Center for American Progress. You know, I, I, I know very little about them. I know that people like Neera Tandon, who is, I believe, the, the president or co-president or one of the leaders, constantly smears Bernie, but then acts like she's a progressive. It's, it, it's all coming together now. Let's see what Neera has to say about this. All right. We're on Neera's page. President of uh, American Progress. Center for American Progress. All right. So it looks like American Center for American Progress made a statement based on that letter. They did this on Sunday. Statement. Caps Neera Tandon on Think Progress video. Washington, D.C. Neera Tandon, president and CEO of the Center for American Progress, released the following statement today. The orientation of CAP is to positively engage with all political leaders about the country's future. Think Progress is editorial independent of CAP and CAP action, which is, which is what has made it valuable as new, which is what has made it valuable as a news outlet. Similarly, we at CAP can form our own opinions of their work. We believe the content of the Think Progress video critiquing Senator Sanders is overly harsh and does not reflect our approach to a constructive debate of the issues. That's it? Okay. Uh, oh, okay. 
That's not really what I was expecting. Let's see if uh, anything else has come out. So apparently I should have just stayed on the New York Times story because uh, I'm not a journalist and they just did all the work for me already. Why would I try to investigate on Twitter? Jody Enda, the editor-in-chief of Think Progress, said in a statement that her website's work is not reviewed before publication by CAP or its action fund and that the groups, quote, had nothing to do with the article or video about Senator Sanders or articles related to any other political leader. She said that the website, quote, will not take sides in the Democratic primaries and suggested that Mr. Sanders was trying to bully the website in response to posts he does not like. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, if that were the case, he, he would do that to uh, the New York Times, which is this article is from the New York Times. He would do like he would do it like Trump. He would do it across the board. Because a lot of media outlets do not give them a fair shake, or at least they didn't. They're, they're starting to come around a little more because they realize that uh, they're losing viewers and they're realizing that Bernie gives them views so much like Trump. Uh, they're going to put him on because they realize that people will actually watch if he's on. But anyways, um, I mean, I buy that, you know, CAP doesn't review what Think Progress puts out there, but I have a hard time believing that they're fully independent, you know, they're hanging out. They're part of the same club. They're with each other. They must be affiliated in some way. So maybe maybe you know maybe they operate in different silos. But the the idea that there's no crossover, that they're not kind of collaboratively working on a certain narrative, trying to prevent the Overton window from shifting to the left, is ridiculous. Because look at their funding. Look who they're being funded by. Uh, another quote from uh, Jody and uh, political leaders should not be able to muzzle or stop coverage that they consider critical, she said. When she's right, but uh, I don't think he's trying to muzzle Think Progress. He's just striking back at them and striking back at an organization that's closely tied or directly tied to them. You know, if Think Progress is the mouthpiece for the Center for American Progress, which them being an independent operation doesn't doesn't make that not the case, then I think it's important for, for, for Bernie Sanders to come out and say, hey, call back your attack dogs or we're not going to be working together anymore. And I think that's fair, especially considering the kind of things that the DCCC is doing in terms of blacklisting people who work on campaigns like AOCs, which are trying to unseat incumbents. So uh, I think this is necessary. Um whether it upsets some people, whatever. So that's Center of American Progress on uh, officially on notice from the Bernie campaign. Thanks for listening. Hey, folks, like, subscribe if you haven't already. Leave a review. Five stars. Say some nice stuff about me. Some of you said some nice stuff already. Really appreciate that. Share it with a friend. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. I got the same dates that I've been saying for a long time but this time i've got some specifics yuck fest it's this week here we go indianapolis yuck fest thursday april 25th liberty street bar at 9 30 i'm gonna be doing a stand-up set and then friday april 26th it's 11 o'clock in the morning so skip work come see me and josh o'neill from two weeks ago we're gonna do our uh, our gimmick wrestling comedy show it's gonna be a lot of fun in indianapolis and then next month uh, May. I've got five dates in May in Columbus on one weekend. So come see me do five sets. Probably do the same material on all those sets. <laughs> Thursday, May 16th at Mikey's Late Night Slice in Columbus, part of Whiskey Bear Comedy Festival. That's Thursday, May 16th at 9.30. And then Friday, May 17th at the Franklinton Playhouse. Doing two shows, one at 9.30, one at midnight. Midnight is like a power hour show, so come and get fucked up. There's going to be, you know, 60 comedians all doing one minute and you take a drink after every comedian set and uh and we get real drunk and it's a lot of fun then saturday 
May 18th, same place, Franklin's in Playhouse, 7.30, Columbus, Ohio. And then Sunday, the show I think I'm most uh, excited for, Sunday, May 19th at Cafe Kerouac. It's 2.30 in the afternoon. It's a show called Bottomless, where you get bottomless mimosas, and you get a lineup of comedians all performing with no pants on. We got underwear on. This isn't one of those shows. So come check me out. That's all I got to say. Hey, happy Easter. Happy Passover. Namaste. Namaste.